Good evening and welcome to another edition of Reporters Roundtable. We are coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. I'm Douglas Mpuga. This evening we talk about the growing influence of the military in African politics. And with us tonight are my colleagues, Nabil Biagio of the South Sudan in Focus program here at VOA. Uh, Nabil, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You're very much welcome. And Jenny Mutu is my other colleague, Vincent Makori, Managing Editor, TV English Africa. Uh, Vincent, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. You're very much welcome. Uh, recently, there has been uh, a lot of influence by the military, right, from Guinea, uh, Mali. It hap- it's been happening across the continent. Recently, in Sudan, it also happened where uh, General Abdel Fattah al-Bohani seized power. And uh, there are talks of having to negotiate, renegotiate the power sharing deal there. First of all, Nabil, put us up to date at the current situation in Sudan now. Yes, uh, thank you, Mpuga, for having me. And hello to your listeners and my colleague uh, Vincent McCory on the line. Um, the situation in Sudan, like uh, you mentioned uh, in your last remark, there's a mediation effort going on. Uh, led by the United Nations, but also behind the scenes, uh, the United States, the United Arab Emirates. And uh, civil disobedience also continues in Sudan to put pressure uh, on the military leaders to relinquish power and restore uh, the transitional government, which uh, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, Sudan's top uh, military leader, uh, overthrew on the 25th of October. Um, this is pretty much where things are right now. You know, uh, one of the things that um, I, I think uh, has been kind of very uh, disturbing up to this point, I, I can say, is that uh, things looked like they were doing so well, Douglas. I think when you looked at Sudan, uh, first there was that excitement about uh, the whole uh, upheaval, the revolution, and uh, people, especially the youth across the continent, were saying, look, once again, the young people, the women, the citizens of a country uh, can actually determine the fate, their own fate, and they, they can say no even to powerful military men. And now to see that Sudan is where it is today, uh, after not such a long time, and now, of, you know, hopefully things will come, go back to what they were supposed to be. But I think that was so such a, an anticlimax, if you ask me, Douglas. Uh, but then, uh, you know, as we continue the conversation, we'll see what the implications of all this is and what we can expect in the coming months. I see. Uh, it's interesting the, what happened in Guinea. They call the people seem to be on the side of the military. That's not the case in Sudan, uh, Nabil. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the contrary in Sudan. Um, don't forget that the transitional government that uh, was dissolved by the military uh, came into being after months of uh, protest. Uh, first against Sudan's strong military ruler, Omar al-Bashir, who was overthrown. But then the, pro- the protest continued uh, uh, and they demanded 
one, they had one clear demand. They wanted civilian rule uh, in Sudan. So the military coup uh, that uh, took place on the 25th of October, and it ended, you know, that achievement of, you know, a semblance of a civilian government uh, was met immediately with protest, a street protest, uh, a massive campaign of civil, civil disobedience. Um, I would like to examine the situation in Mali further, but in Sudan it's, it's clear that the, the, the whole country, the region, the international community, everyone is against that coup. Now the coup leaders are forced to negotiate uh, some sort of settlement to get out of the situation they got themselves in. I see. Obviously, it's interesting because the most coups, when they happen, the masses tend to go with the, with the, with the military. This time, Sudan is giving a different example. Yeah, you know, in most situations, before a coup happens, citizens are usually uh, very, um, you know, desperate for change. Usually it's because of a prolonged period of uh, oppressive regimes, poor management of a country, extreme poverty, and, uh, uh, you know, a leadership that is uh, impervious to the needs, to the, the, the desires and uh, the, the wishes of the people. And, and so when the military comes to the scene, the citizens see the military as the, the hope, the savior. They see the military uh, as the, having the ability to use their, uh, you know, their authoritative uh, position to kind of bring order into society. Militaries are associated with discipline and order, and that is why people usually will yeah. look to the military for change. Now, in the case of Sudan, uh, the citizens of Sudan had been under a military dictatorship for a long time. Now, uh, oh, yeah. the direction that uh, Mohammed, uh, 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 Omar al-Bashir had taken the country was not a direction that the citizens would uh, would say they were enjoying. It wasn't a democracy, truly. Uh, it wasn't. It was a dictatorship. It was authoritarianism. You could not oppose Omar Bashir without uh, facing consequences. So, the people hungered for a civilian rule. They 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 had this thirst for a long time, and especially when they observed what had happened in other parts of the continent, with uh, you know the citizens standing up. Because for many years, people didn't imagine they can actually stand up against Bashir. Except, of course, if you're talking about what was going in Darfur and South Sudan. But in Khartoum, uh, to imagine that actually the citizens would come up against Bashir and his military, it was unthinkable. But when you looked at what was happening in other countries in the neighborhood, so when you saw what happened in Egypt, uh, you know, how um, uh, the, the citizens come, you know, an uprising took away, uh, you know, a strong man and in other parts of the continent, you know, uh, the people got the courage and they saw that it's possible to actually kick out military dictatorship and give an opportunity to a civilian democratic system. And that is what they did. Of course, there was a compromise that uh, the military was going to be part of and party to this because the military helped actually overthrow Bashir. So it, it's an interesting yeah. development it was because while the civilians were against the military dictatorship, they, were, they welcomed any help to get away Bashir. Bashir became more like the bigger problem 
And once you got, out, got him out, they didn't necessarily have a problem with the military, as long as the military was willing to help them uh, take the country to a democratic, uh, you know, civilian government. Mm-hmm. And that's what the military promised initially, that they will be part yeah. of this process, uh, but eventually step away and allow a civilian democratic system. Nabil, uh, given that, uh, as Vincent mentions here, that uh, Sudan has been under military dictatorship for a long time under uh, al-Bashir, and uh, there are people, those who believe that because he stayed for so long, the military got sort of institutionalized and has, has a lot of con- power. Realistically, how is it for the military to hand over power to the civilian government there in, the, in those circumstances? Yes, uh, before I just address this question head-on, uh, I 100% agree with Vincent. And in the case of Sudan, it's, it's probably uh, the issue of the entrenchment of the military in politics. It's probably more, more, it's deeper than most countries even in the region. Sudan has been an independent country for 65 years, roughly. 52 out of those 65 years. Sudan has been under military rule. You know, Bashir was just the latest. Of course, he ruled for the longest, 30 years. Before that, we had a 16-year-long military rule under, under Nimeri. Uh, before that, six years. So it's most of Sudan's independence has been under military rule. And, and it shows the extent to which the military is involved, is entrenched, almost inseparable. Uh, uh, from politics. And this is what the young men and women, the protesters, uh, now are trying to reverse. Uh, after this long history, they have learned that there's nothing good, you know, comes from military roles. All sorts of corruption, mismanagement, you know, wars, conflicts. And they, they want a clean break, you know, with that past. And now how realistic uh, I think the military, the fact that they are forced to negotiate now after st- just one week after staging a coup uh, shows that uh, the military as an institution, and in general, al-Burhan is, is under immense pressure. Uh, the African Union has suspended Sudan, Sudan membership. Uh, the U.S. has suspended economic uh, assistance. The World Bank did the same. Uh, everyone is calling on, on, on the generals to restore uh, the, the civilian-led government of Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdok. And there's direct pressure from the street, from the protest. Uh, someone told me uh, General Burhan must feel like he's under siege because millions of people came out to oppose his coup and and you know to have him restore the civilian government so i think what what is realistic at this point they will try to save face and 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 save preserve certain interests and influence of the military uh, they have these people have companies they have you know they have money uh, they have full control over the security sector uh, so they they they're going to try to preserve some of those interests and save face uh, bring the prime minister back, but form a new government, some sort of technocratic government, so that the coup is not 100% undone, and you know, and and find a soft landing for this situation. This is how I see it playing out. I see. Uh, Vincent, uh, as Nabil says, they are they could do compromise at, at safe face, as he says, 
but then still retain the, 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 the instruments of power, and that would be pseudo-democratic, pseudo would it? Yeah, I have to first, I want to I say something that I, I don't know if uh, <laughs> I've had anybody say this, but it's something that I've thought of over a long time, over many years of observing political developments, uh, military dictatorships, uh, government uh, overthrows and uh, military's involvement in any form of government. I have to first say that militaries may be synonymous with discipline, but militaries by their very nature are not democratic institutions. Militaries by their very structure, they are meant to be there to protect uh, their nations from external threats, but they are never designed to run institutions that serve civilians of any country. It is what militaries are. They are, by nature, dicta dictatorial. Uh, in the army, in the military, you do not negotiate. You do not negotiate with your general. You do not negotiate with the person who outranks you. You obey the orders. It is known that in the military you obey first, then you ask any question if you are allowed later. So, any, any idea, anybody who may try to sell the concept that the militaries can help to, uh, if they're involved in the country's uh, running, can help to restore democracy, is totally false unless they completely step out of the way. Now, in the case of Sudan, and I can tell you it's very similar to Egypt, the military has entrenched itself. It has tested, um, it has actually had a taste of power. Power is very, very sweet and intoxicating, by the way. And so the tragedy that happened in Egypt and in Sudan is that the military has become part of the political system, has been running the country, if you ask me, doing a job that was never meant for the military. But they have done this job for over 50 years. They have literally um, taken, uh, you can say, they are in every sector of, of, of the Sudanese uh, system. Absolutely. Now, to get the military out, to actually tell them to, to give, let go of this thing, let go of their power, is very difficult. And that is why you can understand why this transitional government was having these serious problems because the militaries have, the Sudanese military have a hard time sitting across the table from a civilian and listening to a civilian because it's not in the nature of the military to listen to a civilian. Mm -hmm. And when they start looking at ranks, you know, as a civilian, you have no rank in the military. Mm -hmm. Now, they don't care if your name is a minister of this, mm -hmm. but if I'm the general, if I'm the... Uh, the the uh, major general, whatever, I have a rank, and as militaries, we know how to address each other and how to deal with each other. The military people do not know how to work with civilians because they operate on a different level. They operate with different rules. Now, the tragedy of Sudan is that because they have entrenched themselves in every sector of the Sudanese system, how do you... Extricate them from the system. Mm -hmm. How can you remove the army from the running of the affairs of Sudan? Because if you think that they can accept to be to be led by a civilian, it is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe in uh, in the, any success 
in having a, a, a hybrid government mm -hmm. where you have military people with civilian people working mm -hmm. together to run a country. No. The militaries yes. cannot operate in a system of democracy mm -hmm. and they cannot operate in a place where they might be taking orders from a civilian mm -hmm. they do not take it kindly I see. that's not this the way well if you're just joining us you're listening to reporters roundtable we are coming to you from the voice of america in washington tonight we are discussing the increasing the growing influence of the military in african politics and our panelists are my colleagues Vincent makori our managing editor tv english to africa and Bill uh, Biagio of uh, VOS South Sudan Service. And I'm your host, uh, Douglas Simpoga. And Bill, recently uh, you heard how he mentioned how it's difficult to marry the two systems, the military versus the civilian government. Now, but another thing is that Sudan is in a very tough neighborhood. All countries surrounding uh, Sudan are sort of either they go to the leaders, the leaders go to power through military means or they themselves are uh, militaristic in their nature. How does that impact the situation in Sudan? Because in South, in South Sudan, things are not very good either. In Uganda, they have had a leader who has been there for 35 years. He came to power through the military. In Rwanda, in, so the, the neighborhood, Ethiopia has its problems right now. How does that neighborhood uh, impact the situation in Sudan itself? It is, it is a, a, indeed a very troubled region. Uh, if you pay attention to the, res the responses that we got from the neighbors, uh, a very clear uh, pattern, you know, emerges. For example, Egypt went quiet on the, on the military coup while everyone was condemning it. Uh, South Sudan also went quiet. Ethiopia, interestingly, uh, expressed concern uh, with the situation. And, and that is because uh, Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdok, the deposed civilian prime minister, was open uh, to Ethiopia and, you know, was talking to Abiy and uh, at some point more, more than the military. The military in Sudan uh, was in uh, Egypt to the north of Sudan was in favor of the military and they had really cozy, cozy relations. Uh, so it, it is a troubled region and it's a divided region. Uh, at best, it doesn't help the situation in Sudan if uh, a stronger statement would, you know, would be that the, uh, Egypt, uh, South Sudan and, you know, and other countries may actually be, may have played a factor in the military coup that, that took place in, in, in Sudan. So uh, as far as the region goes, uh, is, is, not, uh, is not promising. Things don't look promising. And I, I just wanted to revisit a point uh, that uh, Vincent mentioned before. Uh, the allure of the military, like the association of uh, the mil any military with order, with discipline. This is uh, this is what happens like across the board. If you look at the rise of this military man or whatever, usually it's a situation of uncertainty, political fragility, some insecurity, economic hardships. You know, se several elements come together, and now the military is, is going to come out and present itself as the savior. You know, to restore order, to move things forward, civilian politics is messy you know political parties are bickering and, and wrangling they 
they put their own interests, you know, before the, the nation's interests and the military, the savior. That's exactly what happened in Sudan. But then quickly after they take over, you you see the mismanagement. You see that there's, there's no clear policy or program for running the country. You see corruption setting in very quickly. And, and, and that has happened in Sudan time and time again. And I hope the silver lining here is Sudanese have realized that they cannot be ruled, uh, they can't accept military rule. And I, 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 don't, I don't find it difficult to imagine other countries around, because we have seen coups recently in Niger, in Chad, in Guinea. Uh, the UN chief, Antonio Guterres, called it uh, an, an epidemic of coups, actually, you know, in Africa and around the world, including Myanmar. Yes, uh, okay, uh, sorry, okay, I get it. Um, Vincent, Nabil there ended on the international community, quoting, mm-hmm. citing the UN Secretary General uh, Guterres, calling, them, calling it an epidemic of course on the continent and elsewhere. Can real the international community exert pressure on Sudan to change things? This is the same Sudan that whose leader, the former leader, Omar Bashir, was wanted by the international community, by the ICC. Uh, the leaders in Africa said no, and uh, Sudan had been under sanctions even then. What pressure can the international community exert, or and if it does, would that pressure really change things on the ground? You know, we've seen over the years uh, the international community, for you know, all the good intentions, has limited influence many times with the in workings of countries, including where there have been. Uh, there have been um, military uh, over, you know, coups and uh, eventually, of course, military dictatorships. Of course, initially you would see the pressure perhaps denying them uh, military equipment, perhaps uh, placing other sanctions that may limit the movements of the uh, the leaders of those countries. Mm-hmm. But uh, with the new, the new world order where we are seeing uh, some of these countries now easily turning east, China is always on the wings, uh, you know, uh, selling their 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 kind of idea of people not interfering with others' uh, internal affairs. That they're willing to extend uh, a hand to any country that is struggling uh, with uh, with kind of the Western support. It, yeah. then, then we have the, the weak, uh, dysfunctional Africa Union and, and and even regional bodies, which really have no no teeth whatsoever uh, because they all have they all live in uh, in the glass houses so they're never willing to throw stones they, i mean they, what moral authority do they have many times they say a few things they make a few statements here yeah, but each of them quickly gets reminded of their vulnerabilities they're living in glass houses <laughs> themselves exactly yeah. so uh, at the end of the day it's it actually it it takes the people within the country to really, really demand and fight for their own survival, for, for the survival of their, uh, you know, if it's if it existed before of the democratic institution, if it did not in- exist before, like we've seen in Sudan now, to fight to put in place systems that will work for them. But if uh, you just expect that because the UN said this and uh, the Emirates said this or the USA said this. The pressure will be there, but they will always find a way of going around it. And then at the end of the day, you know, who suffers a lot from, let's say, sanctions is the civilians.
isn't it? Uh, the yes. big wigs, they have a way to go around this thing. They live well, place sanctions against their travels. They don't care. <laughs> they won't come to your country. Mm -hmm. uh, they have other places to go. And uh, I don't think that that necessarily will make the Sudanese military rulers tomorrow just wake up and say, oh, there is so much pressure from the U.S. and the U.N. and the Emirates. We're giving up and we're walking out of town. No, they will probably... Uh, say they are negotiating with the civilians. They're going to still talk about their intention to take back power to the civilians. Right? But we know what power does to anybody, mm -hmm. including the military people. Chances are it will take the people of Sudan, mostly. And then external pressure will help somewhat. Mm -hmm. But I tell you, the, different, the only... Uh, the, 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 the only people who can make the difference is the people of Sudan themselves. Uh, absolutely. And Abi, what I, do you think? I, I, I agree with what Vincent said. So while we have seen um, a strong uh, uh, responses from you know, different bodies within the international communities and countries uh, condemning uh, the military takeover in Sudan, uh, like I mentioned, the, the AU came out with a statement, but that's as far as they can go. <laughs> the African Union, they can't do anything. The UN Security Council came out with a statement. And here, the interesting thing, uh, Russia expressed concern during the closed-door meeting uh, about using the, the word coup, you know. And, and that's why the, the statement from the UN Security Council uh, consistently used Take military takeover, military takeover. They that's couldn't mention coup yeah, explicitly. <laughs> and the, it's part of the politics, that international politics that Vincent was talking about. And I agree with, with him, the, the bet, mm -hmm. your solid bet is on the people, the streets, not this international actor or that international actor. And if there is a silver lining here, it is the bet that uh, our people in Africa, African nations, uh, are uh, there? They have. There's this growing awareness among them that you know they need to do away with military rule and chart a new future for Africa, one that is not uh, ruled by military dictators. I see. And, and, and I wanted to add that uh, one of the other thing to to tag on to what uh, uh, Nabil is saying. One thing that is now becoming apparent is that mm. citizens are no longer shaking in their boots mm. uh, in the face of military rulers. Mm. Uh, they're not as terrified as it used to be. And I think increasingly they're getting courage and realizing that the country does not belong to even those military mm. uh, guys because at the end of the day, they're just sons of the soil. They're part of the citizenry. They cannot... Uh, determine the fate of a country. So they are not as scared as people used to be. It used to be that if it's a military guys in mm. power, you can't even mm. dare mm. go out on the streets. It was the case in Sudan for many years. I mean, how many times yeah. did you see people on the streets mm. uh, of Khartoum to oh, yeah. see all these thousands and thousands of people pouring on the streets? They are not scared. Mm. And they, they, they know they've been confronted by people with guns. And so... This. They've been shot before, killed, you know. Yeah, so I think that, that is going to even help in, ch in changing the mindset of the militaries, knowing that the citizens know the power they possess. They're not as terrified of the militaries mm -hmm. as 
it used to be in the past. These are different times. These are different generations. Except that uh, in some other African countries where there are dictators who are using the military, it, 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 people have nowhere to move to because they, they associate their leadership with the military and they, they, it's as if they have no choice. It's a matter of time, though. It's, it's a, a matter, matter of time. time. Nothing, uh, no. Yeah. Here's my line, and it's a very original line. Uh, Even the darkest, longest night... Uh, comes to end and the yes. sun rises. I'm telling you, things change. Ten seconds, Nabil. Yeah. Is that your opinion too? Ten seconds. I, I would summarize it. Uh, there is a slogan in Sudan during the protest. They say a bullet does not kill you. What kills you is your silence. I see. Well, we shall keep monitoring the situation in Sudan. Uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we, ha- we have uh, for this edition of Reporters Roundtable. Thanks to my colleague, Vincent Makori, Managing Editor, TV English Africa, and Nabil Abiyajo, of VOA's South Sudan service. Uh, gentlemen, thanks very much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You're very much welcome. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Reporters Roundtable, a reminder that you can hear our, our roundtable on the internet. All you have to do is to go to our main website, click on programs, and scroll down to Reporters Roundtable. Once again, thanks very much for tuning in. And until next week, I'm your host, Douglas Simpuga. a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Lenore Moudou. The World Health Organization and Africa Centers for Disease Control say we all can help fight the coronavirus pandemic by wearing face masks that cover our mouths and noses when we are in crowded areas. For more information, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest news on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa.